invite you to take your Bibles and turn back to Luke 17, that passage we read a little earlier, if you would. The American Sign Language motion, I should say, or the way you do it, I guess I'm told, I've practiced a little bit, right, is, right, right, thank you. Now, I was told, and I looked it up on the internet, actually, that this is thank you, right, but at least in the American Sign Language on the video, I saw very thankful, if you go like this, you do both, right? And uh, so if you're not thankful, I think you go. <laughs> uh, most of you know that Mackenzie, uh, my daughter, has hearing issues. She was born with them, had numerous surgeries on them. And so when she was really little, um, we would do practice signs, not just thank you, but other things. And now that uh, Kylie is here, and we watch Kylie a couple of days a week, and and uh, Eric and Lance want her to learn some of those things. And she's learned very early. Uh, what it, she knows how to do thank you and please and, and uh, more. She's really good at that one. And, uh, and she knows this one. <laughs> right, right. Um, but, but we thought it was really good for her to, learn, to be thankful and learn those things very early in life. But that's just not what a lot of people think anymore I read an article from just a couple years ago in the New York Times, um, the social cues section about etiquette. And the guy who was the columnist, Philip Glanes, he wrote an an article titled, Whatever Happened to Saying Thanks? Um, And in it, he puts a letter that a mom wrote to him about her daughter. And it reads like this. Every year, I send my adult daughter a check for her birthday and Christmas. She told me that she prefers cash to gifts. But she never, ever acknowledges them or thanks me for the checks I send. This has been going on for years. I only know that she gets the checks by checking my bank account to see that it's been taken out. I asked her to text me a few years ago to say thank you, and it helped for a little while, but not too long she stopped. I'm on a tight budget, so these checks for me are a sacrifice, and her silence hurts me. Should I stop sending the checks if she can't be bothered enough to say thank you to her own mom? Or maybe I should just send a card. I don't want to irritate her, but I raised her better than this. Catherine. Well, Philip, the columnist, writes back to Catherine and he says, for years, listen to this, for years, every week, it has brought at least one new variation of this letter I get on thankfulness. Every week, every year, for years. He says, it's the central question and it's by far the one I hear most often In response, he says, I've answered people a few times like this. We give gifts out of love, not to be thanked. If it really bothers you, stop sending the gifts. But I've never, the the columnist says, I've never gotten to the root of the problem. Why does this happen? The columnist says, here's my new theory. If this happens year after year, maybe it's because the recipients don't receive the gift as a gift. Maybe your daughters and others see these presents as entitlements. 
like stock dividends or social security checks. Tell your daughter that you're glad to make room in your tight budget for her gifts because you love her. But her failure to thank you hurts your feelings. And if she can't be thoughtful enough after that, then start sending cards instead of checks. You know, basically, truthfully, if you read the article, Catherine is saying, my daughter is not a two-handed thankful person, not a one-handed. She's a no-handed, like a lot of us. Do you hear what the columnist said? Every week, same thing, variations in ingratitude. It's the central question for our culture, isn't it? I mean, I hear that, here's what he said, I hear it far more than any other question. I hear it the most. And then he says, what's the root problem? Entitlement. See, but it's really more than that because entitlement is just an outward expression of a deeper issue. Because Catherine's daughter and perhaps some of us and our children, see, we don't really see the gift nor the giver rightly. We don't. In our text today, if you noticed when I read it, that question is also the central question for Jesus, too. And you know how I know? Because right in the middle of it, Jesus, or should say toward the end, he asked three questions himself because it bothers him in gratitude. Not giving thanks. It bothers Jesus. And so in the middle of the text, if you look at it with me, he asked three questions, verse 17 and 18. Were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God? And that's, by the way, parallel. Giving thanks and giving praise are the same. Except this foreigner. Oh, see, Jesus is asking the questions. If we call this little text Jesus' column, this is what his column would be. Whatever happened to God-glorifying gratitude? Where, what happened to it? See, we don't show up to give thanks. And here's the reason why. Because we don't rightly see Jesus for who he is, the giver, and we don't rightly see the gift either, what he's done for us. See, it's the difference in our text, between the, in the contrast, between the one leper and the other nine. The question the text is begging you to ask today, ask yourself while I'm preaching is, what am I? Who do I think Jesus is? And what do I believe he has done? And does it make any difference in my life, namely in the area of gratitude? Am I like the nine lepers or am I like the one? You see, God-glorifying gratitude is a response to the realization of who Jesus is and what he's done for us. So we want to take the time we have this morning and unpack each of these two facets of God-glorifying gratitude And ask yourself, am I two-handed in my thanksgiving? One or none? First one, God-glorifying gratitude as a response to who Jesus is. The Gospels, if you know them well, and you can read this in almost any commentary, they and all the events in the Gospels primarily are asking chiefly two things. Who Jesus is and what he came to do. Every account, I think it's fair to say this, every account in the gospel, every story that is given is asking and answering and providing an answer for those two questions. And our text lets us see it in action. And you can see, if you look in your Bible, verse 13, 
The ten lepers know Jesus is coming. And believe me, whenever Jesus was around a city, there was a great and large crowd around him. So it was no doubt who he was or what was happening because a, lot, a big entourage followed him. And they see Jesus coming. And you know, lepers can't get close, so they have to stay at a distance. But they do call out, and it says with loud voices, and they have to, to be heard probably over the crowd and probably because they are farther away as lepers. And they say this, Jesus, Master. I, I looked up that term in the Gospels. It's used six different times. Every single time it's used by, J, G, uh, by either John, Peter, or the disciples. It's not used by someone on the outside. It's someone on the inside. It's a term of respect. We would say today, equivalent to a rabbi or a teacher, someone that you highly respected. And see, that's who they think Jesus is. Here he is coming along, and no doubt because it says at the beginning, it's a little border village between Samaria and Galilee. And because they're near Galilee, there's no doubt after all of this time in Jesus' life, they've heard of his exploits. They've heard of all the things that he can do. They know his name, and they know what he's all about, or so they think. Jesus, Master, they cry out, have mercy on us. It's the same word used of the rich man in hell. It's the same one used in chapter 18 of the blind man outside of Jericho, wanting Jesus to come and help him and do something for him. We might say, give him a gift. See, the text is asking us, how do you see Jesus? All you have to do is read Luke all the way through one time and you'll realize this, that story after story in Luke's gospel communicates the same message. Namely, it's not the religious and it's not the righteous who see Jesus for who he really is. It's always the outcasts. See, it's the sick and the diseased and those who see themselves in need, not those who do not see their need. It's the tax collectors who see Jesus it's not the Pharisees. It's the women, by and large, who see their need of Christ, not the men. It's the Samaritans and not the Jews who accept the claims about Jesus. Just like in our account, in the village that borders Samaria and in Galilee has a little colony of lepers. But see, the disease has done this. It's eradicated and erased any racial bias that there might have been. Because normally, Samaritans and Jewish people wouldn't be together at all but they are in this case. There's 10 lepers, mostly Jews, at least one Samaritan. And they're calling out for Jesus. And they want to get him to show mercy on him, on them. Out of those 10, follow me, one of them, it says, look at the text, one of them, one out of 10. Now see, that's what I want to draw out today. 10 out of 10, as you read the text, experience the gift of his healing. All 10 of the lepers were healed of their leprosy, but one out of 10 expressed it. 10 experienced it, one expressed it. Only one came back to give gratitude to the giver. They all loved the gift, but they did not all love the giver. And the Bible says, look at verse 6, when he saw... That he was healed. 
Also, see, they all had that experience. They all came to a point where they're walking to show themselves to the priest. And as they're walking, they realize they no longer have leprosy. Can you imagine that? The most dreaded disease. We would equivalent today to cancer. Imagine you have full-blown cancer and you're dying from it. And all of a sudden, as you're walking, your cancer is completely gone. All the symptoms, all the, every expression of it, all of it. See, they all had the same experience of healing. They didn't have the same expression of thanksgiving. Only one, and the Bible says, he turned back. The only one to give thanks. The only one that came back to Jesus and recognized a little more who he was. See, isn't that really what Catherine's letter is saying Catherine wants what? She wants her daughter to recognize who she is in her life. She wants her, when she sends a check, she wants her to turn back and say, I see you. I know who you are. I know about the relationship we have, and I'm going to respond to it. That's what Catherine wants. And by the way, isn't it what you want? See, don't you, you don't just do things because you want gratitude, but if it's someone you know and you're close to and you love and you express and you sacrifice them, don't you want them to recognize that? Not because you're looking for it, but because in some ways you expect it out of the relationship that you should have with them, right? But she doesn't. Catherine's daughter doesn't email back. She doesn't write back. She doesn't even do the easy thing. She doesn't even text back. See, she doesn't turn back. Why? Because she doesn't see the giver right. She doesn't see her mom right. Now, it's one thing. Isn't it the money? And, the, and the truthfully, read the letter. It really isn't the money. Not with the mom. Not with you either, is it? That's not the money. It's the relationship. To not say thank you for the money is bad enough. But look at our text. You're not going to turn around and say thank God for healing you of leprosy? I mean, a check of $50 to $100, that's nothing compared. Leprosy, you don't turn around. You don't turn around and say, thank you, God, for the leprosy. You just go on your way, thankful for having what happened to you take place. Can I tell you this morning, thankfulness cannot be simply experienced. All ten lepers felt thankful. I know it. All of them. They're not rotten, ogre people. They felt thankful. Can you imagine? Who wouldn't feel thankful? But they didn't say thanks. And can I tell you, those are worlds apart. Thankfulness has to be expressed. It's one thing to be thankful. It's another thing to give thanks. Listen to Scripture, Psalm 107 and verse 1 and 2. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. For his steadfast love endures forever. Listen, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Say so. You know the Lord. You know who he is in your life. Say it, it says. Say what he's done for you. Say who he is in your life. I believe, if you read the text, both the silence of the nine lepers and the loud voice of the one leper, they both communicate. Both of them. 
Do you know, I would like you to consider this morning this application. Do you know, I'm going to say in a little bit, that Thanksgiving in the Scripture is always an act of worship, always. There's even Thanksgiving offerings that you can give with animals in the Old Testament when you went to the temple because you had a chance to act out your Thanksgiving when you went to the temple and brought your sacrifice. Can I tell you this? You know what? One of the greatest ways that we can say thank you to God is being here at church. Let me tell you this. You know why I have to come Sunday, why I do come Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night? It's not because I have to. You're the pastor, Walker. It it might help if you showed up for the services. You know what? It's way more than that. Because I don't want to ever get it over saying thank you to God. Every time I walk in this door, and you too, right? We get a chance to say thank you. That I haven't forgotten who you are. I know that you're God. And see, listen, your silence and your absence communicates. It does. It does. See, the lepers, the Bible says, look at it, please, 1713. All 10 of them, it says, lifted up their voice, all of them. All of them together, have mercy. Imagine 10 guys, lepers, standing off from a distance. They lift up their voice, have mercy on me. But did you notice this? 10 lifted their voice for him to do something for them. But only one, it says, look at verse 15, with a loud voice came back to praise him and give him thanks. It's amazing. They lifted up their voice to get something, but only one came back to give something. See, we've got it all wrong Catherine's daughter had it all wrong. When we lose sight of who the giver is and what they mean in our lives. See, they had loud voices for the gifts, but they had no voices for the giver. What about you? What about you? Which do you value the most? No, truthfully, the gift or the giver? See, it's the question that Satan posed, isn't it? See, he indicted Job And he talked to God and said, let me tell you something, Lord, about your servant Job. And here he says, here's the question. Does Job fear God for no reason? See, Satan's indictment of Job was this, that he only worships you because of all the gifts you give him. Look at all the children you gave him. Look how much money he has. Look how how much stuff he has. Look how good his life is. And here's was the indictment. If you take away his stuff, you also take away his worship because he won't give it to you anymore. Bottom line, Job loves you for your gifts. He doesn't care about you as the giver. See, is your voice louder for God's gifts or loving God gratis for nothing? See, Job wanted to prove this. I don't love God for his gifts because if he didn't give me any, I'd still worship him. That's the argument of the book. And in our text, it says this. The one leper, he comes back. And here's the Greek it says in megaphone. That's the word. His loud voice, phone, noise. See, we get the word megaphone from it. It's like he couldn't say it loud enough. He had a megaphone and he wanted everybody to hear, praise God, thank God. And how did he do it? Listen to this. It was an act of worship for him. He fell on his face, it says. Do you see that in the text? Praising God with a loud voice, he fell on his face. The only time someone falls on their face in this book of the Bible in Luke is at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. And isn't it crazy? In chapter 5 and in 17, the two people who fall on their face are both lepers. 
They're both lepers. See, the only other use is that one. At the beginning and the end of his ministry, first a Jewish leper and then a Samaritan leper. Because you know what? It doesn't matter who you are. The text is not about who you are. It's about who he is. It's not how you see yourself. I'm better. I'm Jewish. I'm nothing. I'm a Samaritan. I'm religious. I'm not. I'm irreligious or not religious hardly at all. And you know how I know that's true? Because he didn't just fall on his face. It said he fell at Jesus' feet. You know, there are numerous people in Luke's gospel found at Jesus' feet. The street woman who was immoral, the maniac or the demoniac of Gadara, Jairus, Mary, the sister of Martha, and then the leper. All of them, not the people that you would normally see there. To be at someone's feet meant that you wanted to be their disciple. You see, this guy comes back and says, Jesus, I, want, I know who you are, and I want to follow you. I want to be at your feet. I want to worship. You know why? Because now I see it. And it makes me have, want to give thanks in my heart because I can see who you are. And although I've seen my healing, I have seen more than that. And it makes me want to give thanks. Every Christmas, my family and I all get together and we like this one theological drama that we really love to watch over Christmas. It's called The Grinch Who Stole Christmas. And if you read it, you'll find that the Grinch does the exact same thing as Satan did to Job. See, the Grinch indicts the Who's down in Whoville. He does, and I quote, Everyone down in Whoville, the tall and the small, were singing without any presence at all. You know what the argument that the Grinch had? He said, ah, the Who's, you know what? They only like Christmas and celebrate it. Why? Because of all the presents, all the things that Christmas brings, right? And if if you didn't have the presents, here's his argument. Sound familiar? Oh, they wouldn't even have Christmas. And he would go, remember the, if you watched it, oh, boo-hoo. He's the Grinch. You know what he thinks? The Who's are phony. They're superficial. There's nothing really to Christmas for them. They just love the gifts. So he takes everything, and you know it. He goes back up Mount Crown, and he goes like this with his ear to hear them crying and whining, and it shocks them. It shocks them because they're not whining and crying and grumbling. They're singing. Oh, they're praising. They're giving thanks. And he says, it came without And you know how he is. Trumpets and all these words, I can't even explain what they really are. It came without this, and it came without that, and all these things, and it came without all those things. And then at the end, he says the classic line we all remember, maybe Christmas doesn't come from a store. Maybe, just maybe, Christmas is a little bit more. Oh, Maybe there should be a prequel, How the Grinch Stole Thanksgiving. Don't let it be stolen from you today. The leopard knows. He knows what Thanksgiving is all about because he came back to give it to God, namely Jesus. Falling down at his feet, on his face, prostrating himself. See, that's what the leopard would tell us today about our Thanksgiving. You know where it starts? It doesn't start at a table filled with food, as nice as that is. 
See, giving thanks doesn't start in front of a screen watching myriads of football games. You know where Thanksgiving truly starts? In your heart. That's why the Grinch had to have his enlarged. Maybe us too, huh? Oh, see, that's what he's saying to us. Maybe Thanksgiving, just maybe, is a little bit more, he says. And the leper said, it is a whole lot more if you know who the giver is. But that's the second, the first part. The second part is this. God glorifying gratitude is not just a response to who Jesus is. It's a response to what he's done Now, it's not just, hear me please, it's not just that the giver is more important than the gift. That's true. But it's more than that. It's also this, that the gift says something about the giver. Namely, in this case, what Jesus has done. Now, you might have skipped over it when we first read the text, and most people would, unless you've read Luke over and over again. And the text begins in verse 11, on the way to Jerusalem. You say, okay, nice, we get a little travel log there. But no, you have to understand that that is part of what commentators call the travel narrative. And between Luke 9 and 19, those are all stories that take place when Jesus is on his final journey to Jerusalem to die on the cross. And commentators say that every event between 9 and 19 of Luke's gospel, those chapters, should be understood in the shadow of the cross. Because that's where he's going. And in numerous times along the way, Luke indicates that very theme. See, Jesus purposely stops in a little village between Galilee and Samaria. Why? Because he has intentions to show them what he is going to do when he gets to Jerusalem. And he wants them to know that it doesn't matter whether you're a Samaritan or on this side of the little border town or you're a Jew. See, what I'm coming to do is going to give everyone, Jew or Gentile, the greatest reason of all time to give thanks. He says, I'm going to solve your biggest issue, leprosy. But not just the leprosy of your body, the leprosy of your soul. See, he is going to do something that no one else has been able to do. In all of, Jew, all of Judaism, no one ever had to go to the priest and say, hey, I've been healed of leprosy. It had never happened until Jesus. And so the text says that they lifted up their voices, Master, have mercy on us. And when, he saw, when they said to him, go show yourselves to the priests, and as they went, they were cleansed. It never happened happened before. Why did Jesus do it on the way to Jerusalem? Because he wants Jews and Gentiles to know that you cannot be cleansed. You cannot be made whole. You cannot keep Torah on your own. The only reason that you could ever go to the priest and say that you are clean and you are whole is because I made you that way. That's the message of thanksgiving. That's what God says he wants to stir up in your heart. See, he wants you to say, this is who I am in your life, and look what I've done. I've done for you what only God could do. I've cleansed you of your sin, which you never could get anywhere else. You can't get that from a church. You can't get that from your good deeds. You can't can't get that from keeping the sacraments. It's not because of you and who you are. It's not because of what you have done. He says, this is thanksgiving Here's what it is. It's because what I have done 
I have done for you what you couldn't do. Did you see what the lepers were like? Look at the text. When they saw, when they saw Jesus the first time, it says they stood at a distance. That's the same exact phrase used in Luke 18 of the tax collector who was at the temple the same time as the Pharisee. And the Pharisee is standing close to the altar and he's reciting to God how great he is. God, I don't do this and I do this. And God, look at me. Aren't you lucky to have me? And then you have the tax collector, not just on the other side, far away, not even close to the altar, and it says, but the tax collector stood at a distance, the same phrase. And it says this, he beats his chest, because here's what he knows, I'm not worthy to get close to you. He's not worthy to get close to you, because his life is a mess. He can't get close to the altar. Can I remind you how that feels? I have talked to numerous families during COVID. Do you remember? When their loved ones were in the hospital and some of them were dying and they wouldn't let them go see their own loved one. And some, of peop- some people's loved ones died without anyone but a nurse in their room. Do you remember seeing those stories and hearing those stories? And your heart aches. Why? Because you know what it's like to be held at a distance when you don't want to be. See, these men were held at a distance from God. And there was nothing they could do. They couldn't get close. But did you see the transformation in the text? They all start, watch, all ten of them stood at a distance. But the one man who was changed, and I don't mean on the outside only, he was changed on the inside. Do you know where he ends up? Not far away from Jesus, but where? Oh, at his feet. Do you know what the message is? That you don't have to go to the temple anymore to be cleansed and whole and get close to God. Here's the message. You can get close to God through Jesus. See, you can be near him. You can be at his feet. And you don't have to be righteous. You don't have to be good. You don't have to merit it. All you have to do in light of who he is and what he's done is to see who you are and what you've done, see. At a distance, Jesus is your new temple. He will cleanse you. He can restore you. So do you understand this morning who he is? Do you understand what he's done and in light of who you are and what you've done? See, all of us are separated from God because of our leprosy, our sin. All of us today are at a distance. But listen to Paul in Ephesians 2.13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off, have been made near by the blood of Christ. Pastor Walker, how can I get to Jesus' feet? How can he show me mercy? How can I know him and what he's done? You can come through Jesus Christ and his death for your sins. See, he paid the price for your leprosy. And it doesn't matter who you are. Bill Zoller was a guy who had everything in his life he thought was right. He had a good job. He, he was a nice guy, a great guy. He did not believe in God. He was an atheist. He came to me and said, Pastor Walker, my life is great. I only have one problem, or so he thought. My marriage isn't good. I need you to come and talk to me on how I can be the husband I need to be. And I said, I will gladly do that with one exception, one condition, that when every time we talk about Jesus, at the, I mean, your wife and your marriage, at the end, you let me talk about Jesus. He goes, that's great. I don't care because I don't believe in him. I said, fine, let's talk. First time we talked, 
And we were done. He said, that was very helpful. Thank you. I said, now it's the Jesus time. And he literally said to me, okay, get it over with. The second time, we talked about his marriage. And he was very grateful for it. And he said to me, all right, you going to do the Jesus part? I said, of course. The third time, we began the session, and here's what he asked me. He goes, could we just do the Jesus part today? I said, absolutely. And in that office where Pastor Jim is now, at the end of that time, he got on his hands and knees, and he asked Jesus to be his Savior. Within a couple years, he moved away and called me and said he was the deacon in a church that he goes to. Can I tell you this? He didn't think he needed God. He didn't think he had to know anything about who he is. But when he did, it changed his life. And he'll be giving thanks for eternity. But see, he thought he had it all together. And the opposite of that is Justin Black, who when I was downtown doing ministry for years down there, I met him. He was a gang member of the Crips you know, Crips and blood. And so he told me about being in jail, about how he had murdered someone and how he was a drug dealer and he was miserable. And he came to the shower trailer and he came to our church at Mosaic when it first started and he started coming all the time. And one day he stayed afterwards and everyone left and I said, Justin, what are you going to do with Jesus? He says, I don't know what I'm going to do with him, but I need to do something because my life is so wrecked. He had someone in the gangs tried to kill him. It was a a very difficult life. But that day at Mosaic, in that little auditorium with no one there, he gave his life to Christ. Can I tell you this? It doesn't matter whether you're Bill Zoller or Justin Black. It doesn't matter whether you're a Pharisee or a leper. Here's what the truth is, and here's what Jesus says. We all need him. You know why? Three stories of of Samaritans in the Gospel of Luke. Three of them. You know why? Why would Jesus tell stories of Samaritans when his own people didn't like them and didn't want anything to do with it? You know why he told those stories, including this one, and made them heroes in his stories? You know why? He wants you to say, don't think that you're not a Samaritan. (laughs) Don't think that you're not a leper in God's eyes. Don't think it. Because you are. We are all Samaritans. We are all lepers. And here's what thanksgiving is. That God can cleanse and save you through the blood of Jesus Christ and his death on the cross. That's why he died. And I love how the text ends. It says, Jesus says to this foreigner, this Alaganes, this guy who is not like them, the non-Jewish guy that no one accepts. Here's what he says to him. Rise. Go your way. Your faith has made you whole. Do you know what that means? He didn't just see Jesus as a miracle worker and a healer and a really good teacher. That day, he didn't just see his body change. He saw Jesus. He saw Jesus for who he was. Rise, your faith, your belief, your trust in me has made you whole. So he didn't just leave healed. He left with a healer. He didn't just want Jesus' hand. He wanted his heart and his life. Is that you? See, maybe you're here and you're giving thanks and you're giving thanks for all the gifts. Thank you that I live in America. Thank you that we're not at war. Thank you I have a job. I have family. I have kids. I have things. See, it's also, it's great to say thank you, God, for gifts. But what about the giver? Have you ever acknowledged who he really is and what he's done for you and your sin and 
your leprosy. You can just say, you can put your faith and trust in him. That it's not you and your righteousness. It's not who you are and what you've done. See, it's him. Oh, this song was appropriate, wasn't it? Jesus, thank you. That's what we have the chance to do this week. It's our chance as believers to say, I'm not over it yet. I'm not over it yet. I still look in the mirror and say, look how you changed and made me whole. Look at my leprosy and look what you've done. Blessed be your name. But maybe you have never done that. Maybe you've never given your life to Christ. Maybe this morning for the first time, you finally, oh, I know who he is. I know who he is. And because of that, I know what he's done for me that I could never do for myself. He died for me and rose again so my sin could be forgiven. Oh, wouldn't it be awesome today that for the first time in your life, you can truly give thanks like you're meant to do? Will you put your faith in him? Let's pray. With every head bowed and every eye closed and no one looking around, oh, wouldn't it be great if this was a different kind of Thanksgiving this year? That it didn't start with tables full of food and screens full of football. But us as families and as individuals, on our knees, on our faces before Jesus. And telling him this, I'm not over it yet, Master. I'm not over it yet. And with my lips and with my life... I want to live a lifestyle of thanksgiving to you. I can't tell you enough. God, let my megaphone voice tell people how grateful I am for who you are and what you've done. Maybe you're here as a Christian this morning. You say, Pastor Walker, that's what I want to do. Not just this week, but every week. I want to have that kind of a thankful heart. Pray for me. Would you do that? Slip your hand up and I'll pray for you. Anyone? Numerous hands. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. But maybe you're here this morning and you say, Pastor Walker, I have never come to the realization truthfully and fully, this is who Jesus is. Well, that's why he had to die, and that's why he had to die the way he died. He died for my leprosy, my sin. And he rose again so that I could give thanks to him forever with my life. But you say, Pastor Walker, I don't know where I go if I die. I don't know where I'll spend eternity. But listen, I want to come to know the giver and receive his gift today of salvation and eternal life. I've never done that before, but I want to. I need to today. I see myself. I see myself for the first time in light of who he is. Pray for me that I might give my life to him too. Would you just slip your hand up with no one looking? I'll pray for you as well. I need to know Christ. Main floor or the balcony, just put your hand up. Thank you. Anyone else? Anyone else? Our Father, how can we not say thank you? Oh, may we not just feel it. As good as that is, may we give it. May we give it in the form of words. May we give it in the form of money. May we give it in the form of time and food and listening to someone, crying with someone. Oh God, help us to give thanks because of who Jesus is and what he's done and the radical change that you alone have made in our lives. And in that, Master, may you be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen.